Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. There is a restaurant in L.A. Now, don't get excited. L.A. stands for Lower Alabama. You take 331 South out of Montgomery, about 30 miles or so, and you'll, you'll find this, this, little, this little hidden hollow of a restaurant there. I even had some members of our church bring me a t-shirt from this restaurant not too long ago. Uh, you may know the name of the restaurant. It's called It Don't Matter Family Restaurant. How many have eaten there before? We've had a couple that, that, that have been there before. Uh, it's a pretty clever name, especially if you've ever had a conversation with your spouse that goes something like this. What do you want for dinner tonight? It don't matter. Well, would you like to grab something? It don't matter. Well, where would you like to go? It don't matter. It, it sounds like if that's your conversation, there's only one place that you could possibly go. And that would be the It Don't Matter family restaurant. And to our thousands and thousands of YouTube and Facebook viewers, uh, I guess that's free advertising for this restaurant. So, uh, so they should probably be prepared for an influx of business from our, from our online community. What do you get at It Don't Matter? It don't matter. Uh, but you can get your fill on whatever it is that doesn't matter at the It Don't Matter family restaurant. You know, you stop and you think about that phrase. Why we... Why we speak that way? We speak that way because we live in a day and time where you literally, not metaphorically, literally, you can get anything you want to eat at just about any time you want to get to eat it. I mean, we live pretty close to a, a, a large city, and there's every ethnicity of food that's available. The biggest question right now is do they have indoor dining or takeout? Uh, but you literally can get anything you want to eat, really just about at any point in time that you'd like to eat it. And if you stop and think about it, some of you guys are going to be mad at me because you didn't eat enough breakfast for this conversation right now. Think about the amount of energy we spend around the food that we consume. Consider the, the amount of economic resources that we spend on going to the grocery store and, and going out to eat. Uh, if you're like my family, a large portion of your budget is consumed with consuming, right? Consuming the food. Consider how much time we spend eating. Consider how much time we spend, we spend preparing to eat. Continue how much time we spend preparing to prepare to eat. Right, So preparing is the cooking, preparing to prepare is going to the grocery store or ordering the groceries and planning the meal and things like that. Consider how much time we spend thinking about what we're going to eat next or cleaning up from what we just got through eating. The, the amount of investment in filling our bellies is, is a remarkable thought when you, when you stop and think about it. Even in the midst of the pandemic, I guess we're sort of still in the midst of it, although some of the restrictions have been, have been lost. We, we saw some shortages, not just from the toilet paper standpoint. That obviously affected all of us. Um, but, but there were some times where the meat case was a little empty. 
that you couldn't necessarily get the, the, the fresh meat that you wanted to get, or, or, or this item may have not been available because of the supply chain disruptions or the factory closing because of the virus and those sort of things. But I can honestly say that at no point in time, from March until July 5th, did I ever go to the grocery store or we ever sit down to kind of plan our grocery plan? At no point in time did I ever look and say, gosh, we're going to starve. That never happened. Uh, and, and in spite of whether we wanted fresh food, I mean, there was always, the freezer section always had stuff in it. I mean, it may not have been exactly what we wanted, but at no point in time did we ever finish and say, what are we going to do? We're going to starve, and some of us could stand to starve a little more than others, but what are we going to do? You know, I can look back over my life, and I can honestly say this, and most of us probably can. I've never had to miss a meal involuntarily. Now, there have been times that I may have skipped a meal or didn't feel like eating, but I've never had to miss a meal against my will unless the doctor says you've got to fast because you're having surgery or this procedure or that procedure but but i've never had to go without missing i've never had to miss a meal against my own desires really similarly i've never been in a situation where i couldn't find a glass of water to quench my thirst i mean I've never been, I mean, there have, there have there been places where I've been outside and hot and sweaty and I just needed a, a swig of water and I drank out of the hose pipe? Sure. Who hadn't been in that place where you just got a, got a gulp of water out of the hose pipe because you just needed a glass, uh, just needed something to drink right then and right there? However, that's not the case for everybody. Ask a teacher or administrator of some of our local schools and they can tell you stories about hungry children. Um, some of our schools have, have plans in place to send extra food home over the weekend so that kids who maybe don't have enough to eat have enough to eat to get them through the weekend. Or uh, One of the hardest things I know many of our school employees, administrators had to deal with during the pandemic was the fact that some of the kids who weren't going to be at school from March, April, and May were not going to get those meals that they were counting on, breakfast and lunch. And Man, some of our school system employees here put forth a Leviathan effort delivering food to people and getting food in front, of, in front of kids that needed it. It's to be applauded until that had to be shut down. A couple of weeks ago, um, me and a, a couple of our deacons, we actually delivered some fresh boxes, some boxes of fresh produce over to one of our community's poorest neighborhoods. And we went over there, and, uh, and Cole was with me, and, and Cole asked me, he said, we got a plan? And I uh, said, well, not really. You know, we're just going to go figure it out. And we got over there. And, and what I was really hoping for was there'd be somebody there, that we'd have somebody there that just kind of knew the area. And sure enough, there was a lady out there that, that knew the area, knew who needed food boxes. And so we stopped and talked to her and said, can you point us to the people who need this box of food more than anybody else? And she walked us through to each house that needed a box of food. And I talked to her afterwards and I said, can you tell us what the biggest need in this community is? And she said, food food. It's interesting uh, that we live in a land of plenty, yet there's still people that, that don't have enough to eat. I wonder today, have you ever been hungry? Ever been thirsty? We come to this next beatitude, and Jesus actually suggests here that there is a blessedness that comes from being hungry and thirsty. 
but, but not for food. As we get ready to dig into this verse in Matthew chapter 5, I want you to consider just how significant Jesus' words are here, especially in the context of a community where scarcity was real. Keep in mind that in Jesus' day, there weren't, they didn't have a refrigerator full of, full of, you know, a bag of chicken nuggets they could go throw in the microwave when they were hungry. They didn't have, they didn't have a pantry full of potato chips that uh, they could snack on when, when they needed something to eat. In Jesus' day, the, you had to deal with the reality that food Food and, and water were, were certainly scarcities. They weren't necessarily things that were to be taken for granted. And so when Jesus is speaking to this first audience and he says that you should hunger and thirst, he is speaking to a group of people where, where food and drink were primarily for survival. We don't think that way today, at least in our Western industrialized context. We don't think that way. Where for them, food was a matter of survival. For us, isn't it interesting? Food and drink are almost a matter of leisure because we have ready, ready access to it. Truett Cathy even said, you've seen this quote when you walk into a Chick-fil-A. He said, food is essential for life, therefore make it good. Well, that's certainly true. However, but people, for people who are truly starving, they're less worried about whether it's good and more worried about whether or not it'll stave off the pangs of hunger that are growing in their, in their belly. One of our partners, Benjamin House, you've heard their testimony over and over again about the kids who are resorted to huffing fuel, fumes off of jet fuel in order to placate their, their hunger. And for people in those situations, they're not worried about a gourmet meal. They're worried about whether it's a meal that will satisfy the, the pain in their belly. Back in Gabe's football playing days, his coach would famously motivate the players with this statement, and I won't say that I haven't used it a time or two since then, a hungry man will eat out of a trash can. A hungry man will eat out of a trash can. So as we approach this, this beatitude, I would ask that we approach it like someone who is so hungry that they are willing to, deal, to, to dig their next meal out of a dumpster. The restaurant says it don't matter. But Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 5 here reminds us that there is something that matters very much. This morning as we look to Matthew chapter 5, I want to recap the, the Beatitudes that we've gone through. And so I would ask you to stand as we re, revisit these, the, the text of these Beatitudes, beginning in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And lastly, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. God, I thank you for the Sermon on the Mount, for the Beatitudes. I pray, God, that we might be hungry and thirsty people. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As we dissect this, this really powerful statement this this notion of hungering and thirsting for righteousness there are a couple of things that i want us to keep in mind the first thing we need to remember is this hunger and thirst are all consuming conditions hunger and thirst are all consuming conditions if you don't believe me ask an infant infants don't talk oh but they can tell you what they want there are certain situations where an infant cries and his tears can be mitigated through other means. 
If a baby experiences pain or is frightened, that, that situation can often be taken care of by the warm embrace of his mother. And, and the pain and the fear are, are taken away because of the love that the child experiences. However, if that baby is hungry, and you've had hungry babies before, you know that you won't placate that baby with toys. You won't silence her cries through the best com comedic routine. The only thing that can dry the tears of a hungry infant is getting something in that baby's mouth. That's the only thing that will take care of, of the hunger that that infant has. If you've ever seen the guy standing on the corner, he has his cardboard sign. And if he's truly needy, the sign likely says something like this, will work for food. It doesn't say will work for contributions to my 401k. It doesn't say will work for lottery tickets. It doesn't, although he might appreciate lottery tickets, I don't know. It doesn't say will work for approval and a pat on the back. The man who truly has needs, when he holds his sign, he says will work for food. And when you offer to feed him, he says, thank you, I will take it. He truly understands hunger, and he truly understands that the only thing to satisfy the hunger is something in his belly. Maybe you've been out working in the hot summer sun, maybe even in the last couple of days. Maybe you've been like most of us who've been outside doing yard work. You've stayed out there a little too long, and your thirst has gotten intense to the point that you can feel your tongue sticking to the roof of your mouth. And when you finally take a break to get something to drink, you don't want to talk about politics. You don't want to talk about the coronavirus. You don't want to talk about what you saw on social media. The only thing you really want when you're in that place and in that time is what? A glass of cold water. Let me satisfy my thirst, and then we can talk about those other things. Let me satisfy this need that I have for drink, and then we can deal with those other things. I say all this to say this, to make this point. We need to pay attention to Jesus' verbiage here because I believe that every word Jesus uses is intentional. He doesn't say, blessed are those who pursue righteousness, although it's certainly true. He doesn't say, blessed are those who seek after righteousness, although seeking after righteousness is something that we would celebrate. He doesn't say, make righteousness your life goal, in spite of the fact that it absolutely should be. Instead, if you are a citizen of this kingdom then just like you understand that food and drink are necessary for survival, Jesus wants us to understand that there is something even more important. We ought to hunger and thirst for righteousness and be all consumed in our desire to go after it. In the same way that hunger grips us and thirst captivates us. Righteousness ought to be that compelling to us. What exactly is this righteousness, though? What is he talking about here? Well, we see righteousness points to our conformity to the will of God. There are lots of uses for the word righteousness in Scripture. One of the senses of the word, of the word righteousness 
it, is, it points to, to the theological idea that, that as when we give our life to Christ, we receive the righteousness of Jesus. Luther called it the great exchange, where we exchange our sin, Jesus takes our sin, and in exchange for our sin, he gives us his righteousness. And so when we die and we stand before the Lord, we don't stand before the Lord in our own merit, in our own abilities, in our own accomplishments. We don't stand there, look at our righteousness. The Bible actually says that our righteousness, our very best righteousness looks like filthy rags. But instead, we stand before the Lord, and we stand in the imputed righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are righteous because of him, not because of us. That is one sense of the use of the word righteous, and I love that sense of the use of the word righteous. Another sense of the word for righteousness might speak more clearly to our modern situation today that we find ourselves in, where those who see that they are downtrodden and afflicted or oppressed, where they are appeased and vindicated. We see what is known as social justice today, where, where we are seeking justice for these, for these situations of oppression, where, where that type of righteousness is often used. However, that, that doesn't seem to be the sense of Jesus' word here, particularly in light of the other Beatitudes. Remember, the Beatitudes are not just pithy wisdom statements that we, we receive one at a time. They are a progression of, of an idea that we embrace as a whole, not just as individuals. Understand the progression. Poverty of spirit, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, is our intellectual reckoning. It is our mental reckoning of our spiritual bankruptcy. When I understand who I am on the inside and who God is on the outside, I understand I am absolutely broken and impoverished of spirit. I can't do anything to fix my situation. That leads to blessed are those who mourn, not who are perpetually sad and sorrowful, but who actually grieve for their sinful condition, who, who actually grieve for, for, the, for the reality of their poverty of spirit. And that leads then to meekness, which is our relational response to our spiritual condition. We understand that we ought to approach both God and our fellow man with meekness. And as a consequence of that, we then have to determine what our lives should look like. So we have poverty of spirit in our mind, we have mourning in our soul, we have meekness in our relationships, and then our lives need to be defined, and they're defined by Jesus' words here, that we ought to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And so as a result of what we have seen here, our, our, we, we give ourselves to a relentless pursuit to bring our lives into this idea of righteousness, which is conformity with the will of God. We need to acknowledge, though, we don't always do this right. We don't always hunger and thirst for righteousness. You know, if you go back a couple of pages in your Bible, like all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Back in the Garden of Eden, you'll see how this has worked out. In the Garden, Adam and Eve walked in perfect righteousness. They, they were right with God. There was no sin. There was no rebellion against God. They, for the time that they were in the Garden prior to the fall, they were perfect in, in their ways. They, were, they walked in perfect righteousness. They walked perfectly conformed to the will of God. Isn't that something? It's mind-blowing to think about that today because our lives, all of our lives, are such a train wreck when it comes to being conformed to the will of God. They walked in perfect conformity. Prior to the fall, their lives were ideal. However, the serpent entered the picture and he offered them 
a different reality. Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 and 7, the woman saw that the tree was good for food. She saw that it was a delight to the eyes. And that the tree was desired to make one wise. She did that thing that God said not to do. She took of the fruit and she ate it and she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate and verse 7 says then the eyes of both were opened. You see, instead of walking in righteousness, instead of relentlessly pursuing God's commands, instead of hungering and thirsting for more of who God was, instead of hungering and thirsting for being perfectly conformed to the will of God, they hungered and thirsted literally for something else. The fruit on the tree. And the results were absolutely catastrophic. We are sitting here today with ropes between our pews, uh, a quarter, if not more, of what our congregation once was because of this decision in the Garden of Eden. Catastrophic consequences. And yet we read through the entire biblical story, and what we find is this, is this constant back and forth of God's people pursuing conformity to the will of God and then pursuing other things, following other, other ideas, other options, other views of the world. They would pursue God's will and try to walk in righteousness, and then they would fall away into idolatry and other things. And then Jesus comes along. He shows us a better way. He shows us our brokenness. He reminds us, you guys should be poor in spirit. You guys should mourn. You guys should be meek. You guys should hunger and thirst after righteousness. Jesus satisfies the law's demands against us that were broken there in the garden. And the only appropriate response for us as God's people is that our lives need to be marked by a relentless pursuit of righteousness, by a relentless desire to conform our lives into His perfect will. That, as God's people, should be our standard. That should be our banner. What do you do as God's people? I am trying every day to bring my life into perfect conformity with his will. Man, I wouldn't want anything else, would you? Why in the world would... Well, I mean, imagine going to the doctor, and you've got, a, you've got an aching back. And you go to the doctor, you say, Doc, my back is killing me. And the doc says, well, I've got a, I got a solution. Take this pill, whatever this pill is, and your back will never ache again. You, you won't have any more back trouble whatsoever if you'll just take this one pill. Any side effects? Nope, completely no side effects. It'll, it'll cure your back problem, and you'll be able to live a life that you're intended to live. So what are my choices, Doc? Well, you can continue to have a sore back, or you can take a pill and have your back taken care of. Why would anybody say, I think I'll live with a sore back? Why would anybody choose to, to walk in some other pathway when there's a clear pathway that leads to deliverance? Why would anyone choose another way? So the only appropriate response to what's been offered to us is that we would pursue righteousness with a hunger and thirst, that we would be relentless, that it would be all-consuming. But here's the thing. Look in a mirror. Can each of us honestly say, that we are pursuing righteousness 
that we are pursuing perfect conformity to the will of God. You know, even in the church today, we find over and over and over again it's exhausting that people are pursuing experiences, not righteousness. There are conferences, or at least there used to be. I'm sure there'll be conferences again one day. There's conferences, there's books written, there's blogs written, there's experts. And everything is about improving the experience of the church. I wonder sometimes if Jesus doesn't look at us and say, what in the world are you doing? Hunger and thirst for righteousness, not experiences. Hunger and thirst for, for having our lives perfectly in the center of God's will. In too many contexts, a, a worship service is often boiled down to whether it's entertaining or not. And in this new COVID-19 world, churches are expected to have production value so that what shows up on the big screen television is comparable to what they've seen on TBN all their life. Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Not blessed are those who go after experiences and entertainment. Not blessed are those who, who look for, for production value. Not, not that. Blessed are those who pursue righteousness, who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We see it in the church, but we also see it in our personal lives. God help us, I am so guilty of some of these things. Think about the spiritual diet that we consume. Think about the spiritual diet that we consume. It's, it's very akin to our physical diet. It has effects. If you spent the next two weeks and all you did physically was consume high sugar, high fat junk food, if all you did was went through the drive through line at the fast food restaurant, not because that's all that's available, but that, you get the point. How long would your physical health hold up? If all you ate for the next two weeks was, was nothing but, but, but sugary, fatty food, how long would your health stand up? I can promise you this, it wouldn't take long for your physical health to reflect those choices. There have been documentaries written about people uh, who have lived their, they've spent a month eating nothing but fast food and the health consequences of that decision. Our spiritual diet looks the same. If you are consuming things other than righteousness, don't be surprised to see your spiritual health suffering under the weight of those choices. Kent Hughes said it this way, he said, in the church, concern for righteous living is on the decline in the evangelical church. I read this and, and was blown away. Many watch more murders and adulteries on television in one week than their grandparents read about in a lifetime with no twinge of conscience. That's a convicting statement. If hungering and thirsting for righteousness means that we are desperately seeking conformity to the will of God, then our daily diet needs to reflect that. When you look at your daily spiritual food, would you say that you were hungering and thirsting for righteousness, conformity to the will of God, or are you hungering and thirsting for something else? So if righteousness as we're understanding it here, is conformity to the will of God. How in the world do we know what the will of God is? Right? I saw somebody the other day who was, um, they were kind of joking about decision-making during this COVID-19 
situation. And I kind of identified with it because in a lot of ways it feels this way. They were had a magic eight ball, and somebody asked them a, a question about the next step or the next plan, and they shook their magic eight ball and gave the answer. And in a lot of ways it, it feels like that in, in a lot of these organizations that, that are the church and schools and government, all those different organizations trying to figure out what to do. Well, let me ask this magic eight ball and see what it says. Fortunately, we're not left to the magic eight ball to discern the will of God because God has made the majority of his will known to us through the word of God. There are certain questions that you never have to ask. You can take these questions off the table. Should I love my neighbor? You don't have to ask that question. I had, to, I had to really run this through my head last night as my neighbor was, was, was bombing my, my neighborhood at, at 11.30 last night. Lord, I got to love him, but I don't have to like him right now. I had to run that over and over again. Should I, should I be kind to my spouse? You don't ever have to ask that question. Should I guard my tongue? You don't have to, you don't have to ask that question. It's, it's a question you don't have to ask. Should I guard my heart? Should I be mindful of the things that I listen to, the entertainment that I consume? Should I be mindful not just of the words that I speak, but also the things that go on in the thought realm? Absolutely. Those questions are questions you never have to ask. You don't have to say, Lord, should I, should I, should I go cuss my neighbor out because of what he did? Nope. Love your neighbor. In fact, he might look at you and say, I believe I said something about turning the other cheek. You don't have to ask those questions. God's made his will known to us in his word. And conformity isn't hard when we talk about it this way because he's given us the guidebook. He's provided the Holy Spirit to walk with us each day. So when we are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, we need to constantly be looking to check our impulses, to check our appetites. We need to constantly be looking to bring our thoughts captive in obedience to Christ. And we have to make the choice daily. Will I pursue faithfulness to Christ today? Will I pursue faithfulness to his will today? Or will I go after my own plans here? There's an interesting paradox at work here. You see, on one hand, the, the tense of the verbs hunger and thirst, they imply continual, ongoing action. So it's not like a long time ago, you hungered and thirsted for righteousness once, and God gave it to you, and you were done. That's not what the beatitude here says. What it implies is that we have to continually hunger and thirst for righteousness. At the same time, we, so we're constantly hungry, we're constantly thirsty, but at the same time we hear Jesus' words, particularly like when he's talking to the woman at the well, when he says, if you drink of this water, you're never going to thirst again. You say, well, Jesus, if you want me to be thirsty, and then you tell me to drink the water so that I'm never thirsty, how do we thirst but never thirst? That's what we call a paradox. And the beautiful blessing of this beatitude is what God says. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. If we will hunger and thirst for righteousness, God says he will satisfy those desires. You see, that's the beauty of the pursuit of righteousness. 
God will satisfy that thirst. God will satisfy that hunger. But our response to that satisfaction is to come back to this well of living water over and over and over and over again. You don't drink from the well of living water, get you a glass full and say, that was enough. You get a glass of living water and you're going to say, please, Lord, let me have some more. That was good, but I want, I want it for the rest of my life. I want it till the day that I die. I want to drink from the well of living water that never runs dry, and I want to pursue that for the rest of my life. We're like Peter when Jesus washed his feet. Remember what Peter said? I want my whole body washed. Jesus said, this ain't the time. But that's what we need to be like. I want, I want more of this water. I'm not thirsty for it. You've satisfied my thirst, but I want to know it every day of my life. You see, my hunger and thirst are satisfied. But in my satisfaction, I find that I am led to long for more and more of this right relationship with our Creator. Now, now we understand this in marriage. When I married my wife, it satisfied a tremendous longing in my heart. And I think she would say the same thing. Right? <laughs> 19 plus years ago, when we walked out of First Baptist Church in Tallapoosa, Georgia... We were a new couple. We were husband and wife. We didn't look at each other, give each other a high five and say, we're good. But, but I was satisfied. This longing in my heart had been satisfied. I was married to, to this incredible woman. This, this, this desire in me is now satisfied. But what it did is it provoked a lifelong desire that didn't go away at the altar of First Baptist Church in Tallapoosa. It, it was intensified. And so, though I was satisfied, it stoked a yearning for a lifetime of exploring and developing this incredible relationship that God had given me, and I fully anticipate growing and developing that relationship until death does us part, which is what we said there at the altar. I'm not satisfied, but I am. Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. But those of you who hunger and thirst for righteousness, guess what you've already figured out? You just want some more. You just want some more. Because you know you're drinking from a well that's inexhaustible. You see, what we have here is a very dark, distinct contrast between these two different pathways. You can live your life hungering after other things. And man, you go outside in the world today and you will find that there are people who are hungering for all kinds of things. They're hungering for drink and for sex and for violence and for power and for praise and for wealth. Uh, look at the news. Look at what's taking place in the power structures of our world, and you see that that is what people are going after. Man, that's what they're going after. And if that's what you choose to go after, guess what? You will never, ever, ever be satisfied because you are drinking from empty cups and eating from empty plates. And you may recognize that they, they may taste good for a time, but they do not satisfy, they do not fulfill. It's like a... <laughs> these, are, these, are, these, these things are, are bedeviling. It's like a dozen hot Krispy Kreme donuts. You know. You could sit down with that, that dozen, and uh, unless you're just really modest, that hot dozen Krispy Kreme donuts could disappear at one sitting. And you'll, 
man, you'll walk, you'll finish, you'll say, I'm satisfied. But guess what? You're not satisfied. You're sick. Because you've done nothing but eat something empty. Although Tim Hawkins, Christian comedian, says it's like eating baby angels. (laughs) You're you're not satisfied. That longing's not satisfied. That longing's not fulfilled. They may taste good for a while, but what you're left with is just an empty box and a lot of guilt. I heard about a place in North Carolina that has a Krispy Kreme run, like a physical run, and what you have to do is, is run some sort of mileage uphill. When you finish the run, consume a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts and then run the same mileage back. That's a, that's a frightening consideration. But you know. You know they're good, but they're empty. They taste good, but they don't satisfy. That's what the world is constantly offering you. Here's something that tastes good. Yeah, but it's empty. It doesn't satisfy. Jesus says hunger and thirst for righteousness. You see, that's, that's why we live in this world where, where if you haven't noticed, our world continues down this slippery slope of, of, of sexual depravity. Why? Because it never satisfies. You see, what satisfies is God's good design. That satisfies but, but what we've done in this world today is we've created this slippery slope that never satisfies. It always comes up short. It's just empty glasses and empty plates. It may taste good. It may, may feel good, but it doesn't satisfy. We never get full. It's a sugary sweet diet of emotional feel-goodism, but it doesn't nourish the soul. When we hunger and thirst after righteousness, after conforming our lives to the will of God, we are left tasting the living water, we are left tasting the bread of life, and the only thing we can think of is, I just want some more. We are ever hungry and ever thirsty for more of the cup that continually runneth over. And at the same time, we are ever satisfied, both in this life in the life to come. Today, if you find yourself more drawn to the offerings of this world and less drawn to the offerings of Christ, then I want to warn you today that you've got a serious, serious soul condition. And you might find that you're on the wrong side of this hunger and the wrong side of this thirst. And I would implore you today to trust Jesus, to seek after him. Listen to how the Apostle Paul described his hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, I want Philippians 3, verses 8 through 11 to be our closing prayer today. Would you join me as we pray Paul's words? Indeed, I count everything as loss, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may, be, I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ Christ. 
the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any means necessary, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.